0: And it, it, is a, it is a pleasure to be able to lead in worship. I certainly enjoy it when I get to do it. But I am so glad that we have so many other people that are gifted, other men that can lead our worship uh, and serve us. And, and so you don't have to uh, be here for the Paul Buckley show either. I, I certainly want to serve you in preaching the Word, but I want to see the body be the body. Um, so it just reminds me of, of the... Of, How blessed we are to have other leaders. Uh, Early in our church's life, actually, some of you go back that far, I did a lot of things. (laughs) And I'm glad that God has prospered us and brought other leaders in. And it is really my highest privilege and and joy to bring to you God's Word uh, most Sundays. And um, it's a, a humbling task because these words are the very words of God. And you are the sheep that he loves dearly. You are the precious sheep bought with his blood. There's no other commodity apart from the Lord himself and the entire universe as precious as you guys. So it is always uh, an honor and uh, and something I tremble at to some degree as well to bring you God's word. But I'm so glad God is faithful. Uh, And he leads us and he speaks to us and he uses sinners. uh, And he is glorified. Well, today we'll look at Psalm 128. We are in our series called Songs, uh, uh, Songs for the Journey. And these are psalms from the, uh, Psalm 120 to 134 entitled Songs of Ascent. These were psalms that were sung as God's people ascended to Jerusalem. And they are uh, singing of all sorts of things. They are speaking of all sorts of situations in life, uh, difficulties, trials, uh, blessings. Uh, There's Psalms of Confidence. There's all different types of Psalms, but they all have in common uh, a Godwardness, a Godward focus. So we see that through these Psalms. And they have in common the theme of journeying to Jerusalem. And we've learned that for God's people in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the focal point. It was the place of God's presence and and the focal point of his promises and the gathering place of his people. And so it was right for them to, to journey there and to focus on that. And these psalms apply to us because though we don't journey to ancient Jerusalem, we are on a journey as believers ourselves, called to a Godward focus, dealing with many different situations in life, but journeying to our ultimate destination, which is to be with the Lord in his new creation, the new Jerusalem. And we are tasting and experiencing aspects of the new Jerusalem now as his church, as his church universal and as his church local. So these psalms apply to us. I trust that you've been instructed and inspired as we've gone along. Today we're looking at Psalm 128. And before we read it, just to let you know, this is a wisdom psalm. It's a psalm that teaches us about how to live life in the Lord, what, what the life of, of the believer looks like in the Lord. Uh, it's a wisdom psalm. I'll talk about that uh, later, what that means. Uh, but more or less, it's teaching us, it's instructing us, it's giving us a picture of life in the Lord. It's not meant to be an all-encompassing picture. It's not meant to address every single qualification that might come to mind, but more or less to give us a picture. So as we prepare to read it and learn from it, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank You for this wonderful psalm. Lord, Your Word endures forever. Everything else will fade but You and Your Word and those who live in Your Word, will last forever. Thank You for Your Word. And thank You, Lord, that it's Your intention this morning to speak to us. Lord, we are Your precious people. You love us, and the way that You lead us and care for us is through Your Word. The way that You teach us about worshiping You and walking together and witnessing to the world is through Your Word. And so we thank You, Lord. We thank You for Your provision of Christ, that we can come into the throne room and hear from You. And we want to sit at Your feet right now and listen to You through Your Word. So would You help me to serve You and Your people in this? Would You do this, and would You be magnified through it, we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed... be upon Israel. Psalm 128. This psalm teaches us about the blessed life. And that's the title of our message today, The Blessed Life. And it can be uh, broken down into three aspects of the blessed life. The blessed person, the blessed family, and the blessed community. The blessed person, the blessed family, the blessed community. Really together this psalm teaches us that personal Family and community blessings flow, flow from a life of fearing and following God. Personal. Family and community blessings flow from a life of fearing and following God. And we'll dig into those three aspects in a minute. Before we do that, let me just talk a little bit about wisdom literature. This is a, uh, a, a psalm of wisdom. It's part of the wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is scattered throughout the Bible from uh, early on through and through the teachings of Jesus as well. But there's a special concentration around the Psalms. Actually, some of the Psalms are wisdom. Uh, Proverbs almost entirely is uh, wisdom literature, the book of Job. Uh, other, other books around that area are wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is, is literature that's meant to give us a picture of the life in the Lord, of life in the Lord, what it looks like. It's not meant to be taken, wisdom literature is not meant to be taken as absolute promises or absolute laws, but as a picture of how things usually operate in God's universe. The wisdom literature is really uh, full of truisms, not necessarily outright truth. And what I mean by that, it's, uh, a truth is, is something that's established, it is this way. Always, A truism is something that is generally true. And so the Proverbs and and much of the wisdom literature is meant to be taken that way. As truisms, as as we understand this actually in our culture. There's many truisms in our common culture we intuitively understand. Phrases like, uh, these aren't scripture by the way, but these are just truisms in our culture. the early bird gets the worm, right? We've heard that one, the early bird gets the worm. The idea that the person who's diligent gets there early is the one that gets the bargain or the deal. Many hands make light work. Uh, another proverb, that's a Chinese one. I did have someone once say from a pulpit that that was in the Bible, but it isn't. We, uh, it's it's a, a truism, I think, but it's not in the, in the Scriptures. But we understand these things. We intuitively understand that these speak of tendencies because the reality is, yeah, the early bird does get the worm often, but sometimes the early bird gets up early in the morning and, and there's nothing there. Doesn't get the worm sometimes. Just finds that he got up a little too early uh, and nothing happened. Uh, Many hands make light work. Well, that's usually true, but sometimes many hands make confusing, disjointed work, uh, depending on what you're doing, right? You ever been in a situation like that? There's too many... Well, we have another phrase. Too many cooks spoil the broth, right? Another truism. So um, that's what wisdom literature is. And I'm not trying to say that God doesn't tell the truth in that. He's just giving us his word to say, this is generally how it works. This is how my universe tends to work. Uh, it's not meant to be taken as absolute promises. Well, we, we see in Scripture, coming to Scripture itself, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, a wonderful verse. I think we have it to project. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Wonderful proverb saying if you live your life honoring the Lord with your wealth, if you make it a priority to worship Him with your wealth, the first thing that you do with your finances is to, is to worship Him, He will tend to bless you in your life. That your vats will often be bursting, your barns will be filled with plenty. But it's not meaning to say there aren't exceptions to that, Right? Uh, we see them elsewhere in Scripture. Sometimes the one who honors the Lord with their wealth uh, experiences famine or robbery or loss. Uh, at times there may be unemployment or some trial that goes on in life where this isn't true. This isn't an absolute promise. This is a, a, a truism. It's, it's an a indication of how it generally works. Does that make sense? That's important to understand because sometimes people will take Proverbs and claim them as promises and then be very disappointed when it doesn't work out that way. God never promised to say it will always work that way. But what he is saying is this is generally how it happens. And it's important to hold that correctly, particularly for today's purposes as we look at Psalm 128. We can tend to uh, go one way or the other. We can tend to say, well, Either that promise in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is absolute. If I give, I must get back. Or we say, well, you know, there are exceptions. So just forget the whole thing. It's, it, it's just not worth it. If there's exceptions, forget the truth. It mustn't be true. And, and that's not wise. God wants us to live in these truths. He wants us to understand that these function in our lives. And we are to align our lives with the wisdom in God's Word. With the wisdom literature. But we must understand that there are exceptions. And for me, as a pastor, at times, I'm, I'm concerned for us as a church to hold this correctly. And the reason I'm concerned is because we have, as a church, as we go through Scripture, sought to address the, the reality of trials in life, understanding trials and how trials function. And that's very important because, because often the world cannot correctly understand trials, and Scripture has a lot to say about trials, Scripture teaches us that God uses trials. He is, he is in and through trials. That, that there is a role for, for trials and suffering. Uh, that God will use bad things to work something very good. And we know we see this uh, most preeminently in Christ Himself, right? The life of Christ. He, he did good His whole life. Uh, and, and God allowed something terrible to happen to him. God ordained it and even and made sure it happened. Uh, the, the, really, the worst thing that could happen in the entire universe, the, the very worst thing that could have happened, happened to Christ. God, God was put to death. God died for sin. God took the sins of His people on Himself and, and was tortured and died. Christ's death, just looking at the death and looking at what He went through, is the ultimate fail. It is the worst thing that could ever have happened in the entire universe. But we know that He worked the very best thing that could have ever happened in the entire universe through His death. That He used His death and and the atonement, his, His blood being shed for sin as God poured out His justice on Christ. He used it to atone for our sins and through that to provide forgiveness to us and everlasting life. And then He, he raised Christ from the dead on the third day to say that, that His work has been approved. And He had been received. And now Christ reigns. And through His death and resurrection, He not only works the very best thing for us personally, but the very best thing for the universe in exalting God and bringing full redemption to the whole universe, both through the kingdom coming through His church, but also through His eventual return and establishing and renewing all things. So the very best thing was work through the very worst thing. And that's so key for us to understand and to interpret Life through that grid. Now, not that the bad things that happen to us work, work atonement for other people, but God uses our trials now. He works our life as we come to Christ, as we're joined to Him through faith. We belong to Him. And now He orchestrates trials to work good through our lives in many ways. One, one of the most significant ways is he, he refines us through trials so that we treasure Christ more than anything else. And that's an, a key teaching in Scripture. Scripture. And I want us to to build our lives on that truth. But I want us to avoid the mistake of thinking that life is only trial. To think that it is only suffering. That it is only failure. Because it isn't. And so the wisdom literature of God comes alongside and says, this is generally how it's going to work. You walk in My ways, there is blessing in life. And eternal blessing. And yes, there's a place for trial. And we must remember that. So wisdom literature comes along and says that. So, so we need to understand that as we look at Psalm 128. Psalm 128 comes to us uh, to, to help adjust us perhaps. If we're living thinking life is all trial, all hardship, all failure, that God redeems and uses, Psalm 128 says, wait a second, there's blessing. For the man, the person, it's everyone who fears the Lord and walks in His way, there's blessing, personal family and community blessing that will tend to flow. Yes, there's a place for trial but there's blessing. I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense for us as we come to this and come to the scriptures and that we that we arrive at the place where we hold these things rightly. We live, live in God's promises expecting blessing temporarily but also understanding that He ordains and uses trials. And we hold both those things. So with that in mind, let's Dig into this psalm and learn about the blessed life. It says at the beginning, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Blessed is everyone who fears and follows God. If we want to use two uh, consonants, fears and follows. Blessed is everyone who fears and follows God. The, the, person, the blessed person is one who fears the Lord. And in Scripture, fearing God is not a servile fear. It's not the fear that, that you would have for your, the local bully, the neighborhood bully, who uh, if you get on his bad side, he'll, he'll take your lunch money or, or give you a bloody nose, and, and so you're afraid of him. That's not the fear of the Lord. In Scripture, when it talks about the fear of the Lord, it, it really means reverence. Reverence. It means, in reverence, means a deep respect. A deep respect. And God calls us to fear him, to revere him, to have a deep, Respect. To have Him as our, our, as our central reference point. And there's lots of reasons in Scripture that we're given to fear the Lord. He is the Creator. He is the Creator of all things. Everything that exists comes through His hand. He is the ultimate reality. He is the determiner of truth. He is the one who determines what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. He is, he is God. He rules over all things. He's made all things. It is His prerogative to rule and to reign and to be feared, to be revered and deeply respected. So because He's Creator, we are to deeply respect Him. Because of His character, He is holy. He's holy. There's not a hint of evil in God. There's not a shade of darkness. He is perfect. And holy and glorious. And so above us in His holiness. You guys have perhaps read in Scripture where, where God is on the throne and, and, and there's just bright light from the throne. And, and even these glorious seraphim, these angels that attend Him, cannot they have to hide their eyes for His holiness. And Scripture says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. When Isaiah encounters the Lord, he says, woe is me! He he, he knows how holy God is and how unholy He is. And so He speaks condemnation on Himself. Woe is me. And it's not woe is me like we're used to. It means woe. It means undone is me. God is holy. He is perfect in His character. He He is just. He always does exactly what is right. He rewards the righteous. He rewards those who live in faith and respond to him. And he punishes the evil. He never overreacts or underreacts. He's not like us. If you're a parent, you know at times you overreact and you underreact. And it's just kind of always trying to find how to be just with your children. Overreacting, underreacting. God never is anything but perfectly just. He does exactly what is right. He is gracious and kind. It's in His nature. It's not not good news. It's fundamental to His nature that He's gracious. He loves to bless. And and the storyline of the Bible is Him being gracious from beginning to end. The Garden. He provided everything for mankind. He did it all. And He said, "Now, Now live before Me in My grace and believe Me and obey me. And we fell. Mankind's sin is especially heinous because, of, because our sins are sins against grace. God has only been good to us, only been kind to us, has only blessed us, and we have rejected Him in His graciousness. Every sin is a sin against grace, against God giving to us ahead of time what we don't deserve. He is gracious and kind and every good gift comes from Him and and moment by moment, microsecond by microsecond, He just pours out billions and billions of blessings on His creation all the time. He is gracious in His character. And how sad it is for us to miss out and, and fail to recognize just how gracious and kind He is. And we see His kindness most completely expressed in giving of His Son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is amazing grace that He gave His only Son for sinners. It's amazing, infinite grace and we will spend eternity marveling at the dimensions of His grace. Because of His graciousness, He deserves our deep respect. The fear of the Lord. He's to be revered for all these reasons. He's to be revered because He's the Judge and Father who presides over all things. He deserves our deep respect. A question for us in in light of the blessed person, in light of our own lives. Are you... Pursuing a life of deep respect for God? Are you marinating in the truths of Scripture that will cultivate in your mind and in your heart a deep reverence for God? Are you cultivating that? Are you spending time in personal worship, lifting Him up, proclaiming to Him His glory and worth, using the Psalms or Scripture, taking out a guitar, or if you play the guitar, speaking to Him in prayer? cultivating personal worship, lifting Him up, reminding yourself of the fear, the deep respect, the reverence that God deserves? Are you expressing yourself in corporate worship? Do you get excited in corporate worship about lifting God up? Do you get as excited in corporate worship as you do at a ball game? This, for me, was what made the difference uh, in my expressiveness in corporate worship. I was always very a uh, guy, hand is in the pocket guy. Uh, until I realized that when I went to a ball game, I would be very expressive. So, doesn't it make sense that God deserves my enthusiasm, my expressiveness, more than Adrian Gonzalez, Tim Thomas, and Tom Brady combined? He deserves it. So expressiveness in worship is part of our deep respect for God. It's saying, God, you're more important than whether I look cool or not in front of everybody else. So I can lift my hands up. Whatever the appropriate biblical expression, there's all sorts of expressions in Scripture to look at. So are you pursuing that? A life of deep reverence. The, the, The blessed life is a life of deep respect, of reverence, of fearing the Lord. And what follows is walking in His ways. When you fear Him, when you respect Him, you will follow through and walk in His ways. Walking in His truth. Walking with Him loving His Word, loving the Gospel, living around the good news of the Gospel, seeking to remind yourselves and ground yourself in grace so you have power in the grace of the Gospel, in the power of the good news, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you belong to Him, that that breaks the power of sin over our lives and gives us power to love Him, to have glad and faith-filled obedience to His good and perfect law that is written on our heart and expressed in Scripture. Living a life of worship, walking together, with His people and witnessing to others walking in His ways. The, the blessed person is grounded in this fear of the Lord and following in His ways. And the psalm teaches us that this person is blessed. It says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. The person who fears and follows God shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. And, and for us, we might look at that and say, well, that's kind of a heady reward? I mean, you get to eat food every day from your hands. Well, well, there's a couple things to, to answer that question with. First off, in ancient Israel, eating, having a meal each day was no small thing. They lived as farmers and craftsmen and, and, and they lived, many of them, day by day. The work that they did that day had a direct impact on their meal that night. Uh, and so, so to have Three square meals a day like we get was and is an incredible blessing. And so the promise here is as you fear the Lord, as you follow Him, as you walk in His ways, He will bless you. He will bless your labors. He will bless your effort. He will bless your fields. He will bless your undertakings. And you will have food to eat as a family. And I think the implication is beyond just food as well, though, because this person is blessed uh, in the eating the fruit of the labor of their hands It says you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So it's an overall blessing in life. It's experiencing just blessing over your endeavors, whatever they may be. As you walk in the fear of the Lord, following Him, there's a blessing that comes in our occupations, in our endeavors. Who here has been blessed to the Lord in your occupation, in your endeavors, watching His supply? I think all of us. It's wonderful. He constantly, constantly blesses us in these ways. And I know uh, wisdom literature tends to put up the ideal, by the way. It shows us the ideal. It doesn't mean that we all must be perfectly ideal to have these sort of results. It's, it's showing us the ideal so we'll, uh, we'll be captivated by that prospect and the, and the blessings that flow. But the reality is we all struggle. The real person is not, not quite the ideal. Often uh, wisdom literature puts up the, the wise man, wise woman, and the foolish man or woman. And those are meant to be instruction for us. And we tend to go back and forth. So God calls us to the wise person, to live in the fear of the Lord, to follow in His ways. And and promises or, or indicates that these blessings flow. And generally speaking, life is good for the person who fears and follows God. The psalm continues. It says, Your wife will be like our fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus the man shall be blessed who fears the Lord. The man who fears and follows the Lord finds that his wife is like a fruitful vine. And uh, Scripture uses a lot of agricultural metaphors because it was largely an agricultural society. We are not. Uh, The the only vines I think we have in our yard are poison ivy vines, and that's not necessarily a good analogy for us. Uh, But for ancient Israel... Uh, Grapevines were a wonderful blessing. To have grapevines was a sign of blessing and fruitfulness. And so this image of of the man uh, who fears and follows God, his wife being like a fruitful vine from within his house, and by the way, we'll get to this, the word within is is even stronger than that. It means like from deep within, at the core of the, the home. There's this fruitful vine. And it's a picture for them to have a fruitful vine was a great blessing. Uh, to have a grape vine. Grapes provided uh, food in the form of grapes and raisins and drink. Everything from grape juice to the finest vintage wines. And, and by and large, the testimony of Scripture about grapes and wines is positive. Scripture does warn us about drunkenness and, and forbids us to, to, to be drunk. But most of the references in Scripture to wine are positive. Uh, speak of God's blessing and celebrating His abundance. Uh, and so, in this psalm, when it, when it says this, it, the idea is that there's this fruitfulness that's joyful and blesses the home. There's, there's this blessing on the home, like, much like it would be to have a, a vineyard. A, a rich vineyard uh, is, is what it's like having a, a godly wife for the man who fears and follows the Lord. Now, this psalm doesn't get into all the nitty-gritty, by the way, of, of how this happens. It, it, and, and you need to understand that the blessings that flow to family, to marriage and family and community, are not some magical blessings. It's not that, you know, you fear and follow the Lord, you have a good quiet time, and all of a sudden, poof, your wife is a fruitful vine, and poof, there's olive shoots around your table. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a walking out of fearing and following God that, that impacts your marriage, impacts your family impacts your community, and so the the person who fears and follows walks with God in such a way that that he uh, he cultivates who his wife is and her gifts and her walk with God, and and she is a fruitful vine within the house. The picture here is is is, of, of, is drawn from a man with a with a you know fruitful vineyard and an olive grove, and I think we actually have a picture to show. Uh, kind of get the picture of like an Italian villa. That ancient Israel probably was a little more fertile than it is now, a little bit more like Italy. So the idea of this villa with just surrounded by olive groves and and, and grapevines. That's the picture uh, that the the author is trying to convey here. And so his wife is a fruitful vine. Now, now there's probably some allusion to the Song of Solomon here, um, where a fruitful vine means a little more than I'll get into right now. the enjoyment of her beauty and marital intimacy. I think that's part of what the psalmist is alluding to, but but probably not all. There's other aspects uh, here. That that his wife is a fruitful vine who impacts the core of the home. She is is there at the core of the home, blessing the whole home. Um, To be in this home, to be around this this woman, is to experience blessing. She is a, a Proverbs 31 type woman. And she blesses her family. And, and the, the, the call in Scripture for, uh, by and large, I mean there may be exceptions, but by and large is as possible, the call in Scripture is for, for moms to dedicate themselves to their home and to their family. And, and there's a promise of blessing as they do this. And, and generally speaking, as I observe families, I think uh, we see this truth, that the w- woman of the house has dramatic impact on that family, on that home. She, in many ways, determines the atmosphere of the home, what it's like to live there. And so if her hospitality, her graciousness impacts the home and, and creates a, an environment for the home. And so for the one who fears and follows God, there's his blessing. Now, when we don't do that, a woman, a, a, a mom, a wife can adversely impact the home. Um, we know the, the phrase, I think, is true. Uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Uh, and, the, and the other side of it, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. And, and that's in line with this psalm. This woman is a woman who's, who's experiencing the blessing of a husband who leads her in fearing and following God. She is doing that. And there's fruitfulness and blessing to the home. It goes on. The children says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Another agricultural picture here. And olive trees were very important in society back then. Uh, olive oil was, well, they would eat olives. It was for food, but also for oil. Cooking, lamp fuel, cosmetic base, and even money uh, were ways that olive oil was, was utilized back then. So to have an olive grove meant you were doing really well. And olive trees are very interesting trees, trees. Um, they are, are evergreens. They have really twisted, gnarly trunks. And I think we have a picture to, to show. They, um, they, have, they have flower in May, bear fruit in the fall. They grow about 20 feet high. They take about 40 years to reach maturity, by the way. 40 years before they're really at the fruit-bearing stage. And they'll tend to reproduce themselves. Um, they're very resilient. They'll send up shoots through their roots. And then those shoots can be used to cultivate another tree. Uh, it's the, the splicing and grafting that goes on, but they send up these shoots. And so when the psalm talks about your children will be like olive shoots around your table, the, the idea is, is that the, the man who fears and follows God is like that mature olive tree, fruitful. But now sending up shoots, the next generation is coming up, and there's this promise, this promise that this next generation will be another crop of olive trees. It may take a while, right? Forty years for fruitfulness. But there's this promise of, of, of fruitfulness coming through the children. these children who are around the table. There's this promise of years of fruitfulness in this extended family that will be coming forth. And it, later in the psalm, it, it talks about seeing your children's children, that, that there's an impact even to the, the third generation. Through the life of the, the man, the person who fears and follows God, it's a wonderful picture. And so the psalmist in here says, "Behold, thus shall be the man; thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord." Behold, look at this picture. It is great. This is a great blessing for the person who fears and follows God. It's a, it's an indicator for us, a, a blessing that comes from a life of fearing and following God. So the question is, are you pursuing these blessings? Are you pursuing these family blessings? Are you following through and fearing and following God in your own life and and, and seeking to lead your wife or wife as, as you come alongside your husband to encourage him to fear and follow that you might see the blessing in your family? There's a wonderful blessing indicated here. What, what a thing to think about. About your children being like olive shoots. And then the third generation coming forth. What, what, a, what a goal before us that should motivate us. Are you... Is, is The reality again in wisdom literature It's putting this ideal out, up here. And whenever I preach on this, I know there's always... All of us are thinking, Okay, any more of this and I'm going to go out of here really discouraged. Because when I measure my life by that standard, I fall short. But that standard is a call to us. To walk in the Lord. And to help each other out. The reality is all of us are often often playing the fool. And we need help. And so this promise should motivate us to, to ask others who maybe are more mature and seeing more success, what are you doing? Tell me, help me. Come alongside. Help me with this. Let us not grow lazy or give up, or be discouraged with this. Let's be motivated. I want to see that. And no matter what stage you're at in in life, there's always something we can grow in to to enjoy these blessings more. So let's seek help from one another. Do you need pastoral, pastoral help? I would love, as far as I'm able, to come alongside and help you. I want to see those blessings. I want to see you enjoy those blessings. So let us pursue these things. Finally, the blessed life, Results in the blessed community. This psalm finishes off saying, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Derek Kidner, the late scholar, pastor, in commenting on this section says, If piety can be too individualistic, and a family too self-contained. The final strophe—strophe—I don't know how to say that word—takes care of both of these dangers. Zion, where the faithful gather, is where you can expect to find blessing, and your family's future is bound up in Zion's welfare and that of Israel. This is so important for us to understand. That the blessed life is not only uh, results in personal blessing, not only results in family blessing, but it is to flow to community blessing as well. And, and I think for many of us, we can be devoted to personal and family prosperity and forget about the community. Forget about community blessing. And I think as New Englanders, this is probably a special temptation for us. I don't know all the reasons why. But we can be really devoted to personal piety and be outstanding. We can be devoted to our family but then just kind of treat the community and and I think for us the application is our local church with with a a lesser place than we should. And this psalm comes alongside us and says, no, the blessed life results in personal blessing, family blessing, and community blessing. These are tied together in Scripture. And, And Scripture doesn't necessarily go into depth about how to do it because I think for the writers of Scripture and the early church, the Old Testament people of God, they intuitively understood these things. I think they intuitively understood how to be personally devoted to the Lord, how to be devoted as a family and a community, and they held those things in the right place. I think the Western, Western culture has brought us many good things, but one thing that it has done is it, it's, it's caused us to shift more towards the individual. And then we maybe correct that in uh, being devoted to our families, but we end up missing the community aspect. And so, thank God for this psalm. And we've talked about this before uh, as we've gone along in Scripture. We were early on in Psalm 122. We talked about delighting in Zion. And in that message, I talked about this, this aspect. And, and let me just try to explain as best I can how this works. Because there are, there are questions that, that we have at times. Um, maybe we've had experiences where we've sought to be devoted to the community and we've found that when we get devoted to the community, maybe the way it was done, it's taken away from personal and family devotion to the Lord. It ends up being abusive. Maybe that's been your experience. Uh, And I want to address that because you might be thinking, well, I don't want to go where I used to be and uh, and we don't want to go there either, by the way. Um, So let me try to explain uh, as best as I can how this works. As you read through Scripture, as you read through Psalm 128, Psalm 122, uh, Ephesians, and elsewhere, you'll see that, that there's a great amount of focus on the community of God. Now, in the Old Testament, that's the people of Israel. It's the city of Jerusalem as the focal point. In the New Testament, it shifts looking forward to the New Jerusalem, but in the meantime, experiencing a, a type of that New Jerusalem through the church, the Universal Church, capital C, and particularly through the local church. And so there's a lot of emphasis on the life of the local church in the New Testament. Uh, and, and so the, what I would say is that, that the, the work of the community, the work of God blessing the community, is the preeminent focus in Scripture. It's preeminent. It's, it's at the forefront. It's what you see the most. It's what's celebrated. It's what, what God is excited about, His bride, and He means that His bride in particular expressed locally. But it's not done to the exclusion of the individual and the family. It's never to be understood that way. It's to be integrated. That's assumed in Scripture. And so, while the local church is to be preeminent in what's happening, it's not necessarily the functional priority for all of us all the time. If I can use a metaphor that maybe will will help, um, we have a picture of a, a cathedral to show. Imagine that you're building a cathedral. You're in uh, a village. I think this is Cologne. Um, you're you're building this cathedral. And in your community, this is your preeminent focus to build this glorious cathedral. It's, It's what you want. And you want it as a place of worship. You want to go there. You want to worship with God's people. You want to lift God's name up. That's your preeminent focus. But more than likely, you in that village will have a particular role to play. And so while this is your preeminent focus, your functional priority is influenced by your roles. So, say you're a stonemason. Your preeminent concern is this cathedral, but your functional priority is being a stonemason. And your job is to go to the quarry and take stone, mine stone, out of the quarry and shape it and form it. And then take that stone that you've worked on and place it in the cathedral. So it serves its focus. Well, if you're not guessing ahead of time, you probably are. It's a metaphor, I think, for how these things work together. The family and your children are, are really the quarry. You as parents, you're the stonemason. And your job is to quarry that stone and to shape it. But the end point is not for that stone to stay in the quarry and, that, and for that stone to stay in your house so you can think, oh, this is great. Wasn't it, isn't this a beautiful stone? The, the, the end point is to transition that stone from the quarry through your hands to the cathedral. That's how I think it works in Scripture. I hope that helps. There's limits to that analogy, I'm sure, but that's how it works. And so this psalm speaks of the blessed life being one of, of personal blessing, family blessing, and community blessing. It flows that way. It works that way. And the result in here is is blessing, seeing our children's children blessed. In the the psalm, it it says, uh, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Implied there is that through your personal blessing and family blessing is the prosperity of the community. To see Jerusalem prosper. All your days to delight that I've played some part in here by walking with God and blessing my family, so that the community as a whole is blessed all my life. And then seeing your children's children, can you picture? Can you picture with me being a grandparent, being or a great-grandparent, or being 70 years old and looking at King of Grace Church and watching your grandchildren take the baton and start leading this church? And thinking, thank you, God, for what you did through my life. How you taught me about fearing and following you. And how you used me to shape these stones. And now the stones are in place. And whether they're serving with their own families or as singles or corporately, the church family, whatever particular roles they might have, thinking that that God has blessed this church as He's blessed our lives personally. That's the picture. That's what we are to strive for. A few questions as we conclude here in light of this aspect, of the community blessing. Think about how you are parenting. Are you so raising your children that they will be a blessing to the church when they reach adulthood? That their goal, their idea is, I'm being raised up to serve God's purposes in and through my particular church. Yes, the broader church as well, but my particular local church. Are you raising them that way or will they get to adulthood at 18, and and wonder how this thing works. They'll know how to have a quiet time and be personally devoted. They'll know how to be devoted to their family, but they won't understand how that fits in with the local church. Are you parenting them for all three aspects? Do you have a transition plan? Or are you just kind of winging it? Hit 18 or 24. I don't know. Somehow there will be this change. and I don't know what it will look like. Do you have a transition plan? We as a church... Uh, are intentional in, in trying to work with parents to transition children. As they go from that place of being little children, where, they're, where the majority of their time should definitely be with their family, to moving towards adulthood and starting to, to interact with the community and learn how to do that and be ready and to, be, to experience a transition from the quarry to the cathedral. How are you doing that? We would love to learn with you in this. I can't say I have it all figured out. But let's learn together. Let's seek to experience the blessed life personally as families and with the church. The result is what we see at the end of the psalm. Peace be upon Israel. This is not just a throwaway saying that he's giving out the end of the message. At the end of the psalm, you know, well, peace be upon Israel. I'm supposed to say that. What he's saying is through the blessed life, through fearing and following God, through the blessed family, through the blessed community, there will be peace upon Israel. That's how God works it. Um, Let's pray. And as I pray, I I would like to ask uh, Tom and Sandy Brown and Leslie to come up. Leslie will be transitioning uh, from our church. And it is fitting to to pray for her at the end of this message. Um, But let me pray as they come. Lord, we thank you for Psalm 128. We thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us. Teach us, O God, how to live in light of these things. To live fearing and following you, experiencing personal blessings, walking in these things in marriage and family and in community. We thank you for your words. Change us, lead us, be magnified, we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on up, guys. Leslie has uh, grown up in our church. And um, I know Tom and Sandy would, 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 along with all of us, be aware of how we haven't been perfect, but in many ways, these guys have done well in raising their children to be transitioned. And so uh, Leslie will be uh, relocating permanently up to White River Junction area and part of a great church up there, living with a godly family and, um, and working in her career. So um, it's a bittersweet time, isn't it, to, to thank God for this stone that's been shaped and now is being placed in that church. Uh, so we just want to uh, commit her to the Lord in this process. So let's pray. But we thank You for Your blessing on the Brown family, Lord. Thank You for Your grace. I worked in Tom and Sandy years ago to come to know You. And Lord, that You've taught them how to fear You, how to follow You. And I know, just like all of us, they've struggled with that at times. But Lord, You have been at work. And there has been real fear and respect and worship of You and real following of You, Lord. And You have used them to, uh, as they walk with You to be blessed as a couple and as a family and to shape their children. We thank You for Your grace at work in these ways. And now here we are this day sending Leslie as a church, this stone to be fit into the work up there. at uh, the church up in the White River Junction area, Lord. We ask Your blessing on her. We ask You, Lord, to use her. We ask You, Lord, to fill her with Your Spirit. May the, the truths of Your Word that she's grown up in, may they fill her mind and her heart. May she serve well there, Lord God. May she be a blessing. May You be with her. May she walk with You and Your people. May she be a worshiper. May she witness to You in all that she does. May You establish her steps for the future, Lord, whatever You might have. We know You have wonderful plans and we look forward to hearing. We know she'll be visiting us and we'll be talking with the family. We'll be hearing about what You're doing. And we look forward to that. Lord, would You use her and would You make her... A blessing, would you teach her how to walk in the blessed life as well, Lord, that, that should you give her a husband and children, we may see the next generation and the next as well. Oh, what a joy that would be. So we thank you for Leslie and your grace. Teach us, O oh Lord, how to walk in these things. Bless our dear sister, our friend, a daughter, as she goes. We pray as God's people. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks. (laughs) The band can come up as we close in song. stand and sing an appropriate song to close today. Haven't you been good?